What's up, world? I'm Cameron McKinney, and this is Pop Culture Spotlight, a podcast about the movies Elvis and the Black Phone. First, let's talk about the movie Elvis. Here's a quick synopsis. Colonel Tom Parker becomes the manager of a young and upcoming musician, Elvis Presley, and over the next 20 years, the pair go through ups and downs as Elvis becomes one of the most famous people in the world. The film stars Austin Butler, Tom Hanks, Olivia DeJong, Helen Thompson, Richard Roxburgh, David Wenham, Cody Schmidt-McPhee, Kelvin Harrison Jr., Luke Bracey, and Dacre Montgomery stand out performances. If you, like me, are in your 20s, then you probably watched Austin Butler on television without first knowing his name, because Butler has appeared in a number of shows for preteens and teenagers. Disney Channel's Hannah Montana in 2006, and 2007 on Nickelodeon's iCarly, and Zoe 101 in 2007 and 2008, Jonas in 2009, Wizards of Waverly Place in 2010, both on the Disney Channel, Switch at birth from 2011 to 2012 on ABC Family and the Carrie Diaries from 2013 to 2014 on the CW. The moment I knew that Austin Butler was about to blow up was in 2019 where he had supporting roles in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood playing the character of Tex and out of his mind member of the Manson family which he shared scenes with Brad Pitt and in Jim Jarmusch's zombie apocalypse movie The Dead Don't Die which starred Adam Driver, Bill Murray, and Chloe Sevigny. Butler was working with top-notch directors in Quentin Tarantino and Jim Jarmusch. I knew this guy was destined for movie stardom. I could just tell a big leading role was coming his way. I never in my wildest dreams could have imagined it would be playing Elvis Presley. He won the role over much well-known actors such as Miles Teller, Harry Styles, Ansel Elgort, and Aaron Taylor-Johnson. Butler is incredible in the role. He plays Presley as someone who is warm and innocent, naive and easily manipulated. Whoever was going to play Elvis had to feel like a superstar and Butler does just that. Let's talk about Butler's famous co-star in this film, Tom Hanks, who tends to get a lot of flack when he's not playing an inherently nice person. And if we are being honest, it is something that Hanks has struggled with throughout his career. He's not good as a bad guy in the Coen Brothers film, The Lady Killers. I did love him as a mobster in Road to Perdition, directed by Sam Mendes, but even that character had some noble, redeeming qualities. For Hanks' performance in Elvis, he has gotten some mixed reviews. Some have called the performance over-the-top and outlandish. I have to say I really liked him in the movie. The point of his portrayal of Colonel Tom Parker is to show what a ridiculously strange person he was and how someone as talented as Elvis could somehow manage to be swayed by him. Parker lets Elvis feel as though they have a partnership, but really he's using him for his own selfish agenda. This is not one of Hanks's best performances, but overall he's very good. I think for some reason we're at a point in movies where it's become so polarizing when a major movie star takes a supporting role. I'm thinking about three performances specifically recently. There was Jared Leto in The House of Gucci, Ben Affleck in The Last Duel, and now Tom Hanks in Elvis, where it's like, it feels like these performances are being misunderstood, and part of it has to do with our history of how we feel about these people. How we feel about Tom Hanks is how we're reacting to his performance in Elvis. No, Tom Hanks 
Hanks is not being the guy from Big in Elvis, but he's doing something really good in this. Ben Affleck, I feel like that was a misunderstood performance in The Last Duel. I think he should have been nominated for an Oscar. And Jared Leto, the whole point of his performance in House of Gucci is to be annoying. I also think the backlash towards these three performances in particular has to do with all three of these actors are trying to do something they are not well known for doing. I would say this, if you're going to be overly critical about this Tom Hanks performance, then don't be mad when he goes back to playing just Mr. Rogers. You can't have it both ways. You can't say that he never takes a risk, and then when he takes a risk, kill him for it. I really like the fact that in this movie, he's playing a more complicated character than he's used to playing. Austin Butler will next star in the miniseries Masters of the Air, Dune Part 2 with Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, and Florence Pugh, and he will star in Jeff Nichols' next movie, The Bike Riders with Tom Hardy, Jodie Comer, and Michael Shannon. Big things for Austin Butler. I think most people are going to talk about Dune Part 2 because Dune Part 1 was great. I hope that movie gets nominated for Oscars. And now Dune Part 2 is filled with even more movie stars. I mean, Florence Pugh and Austin Butler are on the rise right now. And Tom Hanks will star as Geppetto in Disney's live-action adaptation of Pinocchio coming out in September, reuniting him with Forrest Gump and castaway director Robert Zemeckis, and Hanks has a role in Wes Anderson's next movie, Asteroid City. It will be interesting to see if he fits the tone of that movie. It didn't work with Hanks and the Coen brothers. I really hope it does with Tom Hanks and Wes Anderson. Baz Luhrmann is one of those directors with his own indescribable style, and you either love his films or don't get them at all. I, for one, fall on the love side of this equation. He brings his own personal flair to well-known stories. Everyone has tried to modernize Romeo and Juliet. The only one in my mind who has been successful was Lerman, with his 1996 adaptation of the Shakespeare play starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes. He also made the best adaptation of the well-known novel The Great Gatsby. His version stars DiCaprio along with Tobey Maguire and Carrie Mulligan. Lerman also makes movies within well-known genres and makes something new and original within them, like his jukebox musical Moulin Rouge, starring Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman. There have been plenty of movie musicals, none like it, it's unique. And as for Elvis, there have been tons of biopics about well-known musicians, especially lately, and most of them are just filled with the musician's greatest hits. Not Elvis, yeah, he performs his own songs, but the film stays true to Lerman's style, which I would categorize as fast-paced. Some would say Lerman's flaw as a director is he chooses style over substance, that his films look good and are entertaining, but they are not plot-driven and straightforward. And my rebuttal to that would be, I don't want all directors to be the same, and I also want different kinds of movies. Lerman makes movies that feel like events, and they've been super successful. Romeo and Juliet made $146 million at the box office. Moulin Rouge, $180. The Great Gatsby, $353 million. And Elvis has made a staggering $271 million at the box office. My critique of most movie musical biopics is they have all come down to the performance of the leading actor or actress, especially recently with Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody. He, of 
course, went on to win the Oscar. Taron Egerton as Elton John in Rocket Man. Jennifer Hudson as Aretha Franklin in Respect. I like all of these performances and these movies, some more than others, but they are not great movies. I think in the case of Elvis, the movie is deserving of Butler's great performance. He's the major selling point of the film, but not the only one. For me, this is the best movie musical biopic since Walk the Line with Joaquin Phoenix as Johnny Cash and Reese Witherspoon as June Carter. I, of course, knew the name Elvis Presley before I saw this movie and knew a lot of his music. What I didn't know and what I think most people don't know was that Elvis Presley was sent away to the military while he was famous to repair his image. That's insane. This movie is just another example of how art and commerce really don't mix well together. Also, what was interesting is if you believe the movie, Elvis did not just take from African American culture to get famous. He actually respected it and they respected him. I love the scenes between Austin Butler and Kelvin Harrison Jr. I think these two are the next big movie stars. Oscar chances. It's a safe bet that Austin Butler is going to get his first Oscar nomination for his portrayal as Elvis. It's arguably the best leading performance of 2022. How the rest of the movie fares should be interesting. Moulin Rouge is the only Lerman movie that was a major Oscar player. I think Elvis deserves to be one of the 10 movies nominated for Best Picture, and Lerman deserves to be in the conversation for Best Director. I would be absolutely shocked if Tom Hanks gets a Supporting Actor nomination. The two-time Best Actor winner has been ignored for far better recent performances. It is crazy to think about that Tom Hanks, one of our greatest actors, hasn't won an Oscar since 1995. It doesn't sound right, does it? Overall, Elvis brought something new and fresh to a genre that badly needed it. The movie showed how success complicates your life. Also, my other big takeaway, the relationship between Elvis and Colonel Parker is sad because Presley really did think it was a human bond while Parker looked at Elvis as a business. One of the things I like most about the movie Elvis is it shows the good and the bad of his life. It showed the ups and downs of his career. Too many of these movies are just all good happening around them. I think the ones that really hit are the ones that show you not everything is perfect in this person's life. It's not just a collection of amazing moments in his life. I mean, Elvis really did go through a lot in his lifetime. He was so young. He was the breadwinner and he was super famous at such a young age. The saddest thing about the movie overall is that Elvis didn't find out that Colonel Parker was a bad person until it was too late. He had already done drastic damage to his life at that point. If you were going to make a movie about Elvis Presley, it had to be a big swing. And this movie is the biggest of swings. Let's switch gears and talk about the movie The Black Phone. Here's a quick synopsis. 13-year-old Finney is abducted by the grabber, a serial killer, and with all hope lost, starts to get mysterious phone calls from his past victims. The film stars Mason Thames, Ethan Hawke, Madeline McGraw, and Jeremy Davis. Standout performances. This isn't Ethan Hawke's first horror movie. He also starred in 2012 Sinister, directed by Scott Derrickson, who is also the director of The Black Phone, and 2013's The Purge. Hawke doesn't make a lot of hit mainstream movies. He's best known for indies, but these horror films have been massive successes for the actor. Sinister made just under 
$88 million at the box office, The Purge $90 million, and spawned two sequels, and The Black Phone has been a massive success, making over $155 million on a less than $20 million budget. And in it, Hawk plays the grabber, and many people will watch this movie and think, why is that Ethan Hawk behind the mask? What is the point of having a major movie star and not seeing his face? I would argue he's being very effective with what he's doing with his voice and posture, and that he's being scary. That's the point of this performance. You'll watch this movie and you'll go, oh, I'm kind of scared of Ethan Hawk right now. This is also Hawk doing something new within the genre. In his last two horror films, he was the one being scared. Now he's the one being scary. As good as Hawk is in this movie, this film would fall apart if it weren't for the lead, Mason Thames, who plays Finney. You just don't expect that kind of caliber of a performance from a teenage actor. He's the most interesting thing on screen throughout this film. He's complicated and brilliant in the movie. This is a major victory for writer-director Scott Derrickson, who departed Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness after directing the first Doctor Strange film due to creative differences. It's believed Derrickson wanted the sequel to be a full-on horror film, and Marvel said no, and he went on to make not only a financial success, but a critical one as well with the Black Phone. People are still raving about this movie. Not a lot of people are doing the same for the Doctor Strange sequel. Ethan Hawke, who recently worked with Marvel on Moon Knight, said in an interview with IndieWire that Marvel is, quote, extremely actor-friendly, but not very director-friendly. And Derrickson is a great example of that. They should have let the filmmaker make whatever Doctor Strange movie he wanted. The first one was great. The second film without him is a mess. Derrickson's next film, The Gorge, will star Top Gun Maverick star Miles Teller. The producer of The Black Phone and the other Ethan Hawke-led horror films, Jason Blum, has become a significant figure in the genre. His company, Blumhouse, has a clear strategy. Make quality, low-budget horror films. That list includes James Wan's Insidious, which made $100 million on a $1 million budget, and its sequel made $161 million on a $5 million budget, Jordan Peele's Get Out and Us, which each made over $255 million at the box office. Get Out cost $4 million to make. Us cost $20 million. Christopher Landon's Happy Death Day made $125 million on a $4 million budget. David Gordon Green's revival of the Halloween franchise, the first of which made over $255 million on a $15 million budget. And Lee Winnell's The Invisible Man, which made over $140 million on only a $7 million budget. And Blum and his company don't just make horror films. They also produced the heavy Oscar contenders Whiplash, directed by Damien Chazelle, and Black Klansman from Spike Lee. Horror really is one of the last film genres that consistently does well at the box office. And Blum and his company realize that you can make a small horror film and make relatively big money. Also, the quality of the movies Blum makes are high quality, and it's due to the quality of filmmakers he's aligned himself with. Jordan Peele, Scott Derrickson, David Gordon Green, Lee Winnell, James Wan, and Christopher Landon. These are top-notch directors. The success of recent horror 
horror movies have come down to the filmmakers that make these movies. I also think horror is the only genre where you're willing to watch a movie that isn't filled with a superstar cast. I mean, other than Ethan Hawke, there are no other recognizable names in the Black Phone. But you are going to watch the Black Phone because you know of Scott Derrickson. It's one of the few film genres where you go, oh, this guy directed this movie. I'm going to watch this film. With horror movies, the star of the movie is the director. What I really admired about the Black Phone is how well made it is and how simple the story is. I feel like horror genre has become a place where there are some super complicated horror movies that are saying something about society. I think the simplicity of this movie is its biggest strength. Like the movie just gets to the point. It's not something super heavy that we all have to think about. It's not one of those movies where you watch and at the end of it you go, what is this saying about our society today? It's not one of those movies. Not to say it's not deep, it's just not super complicated like some of the modern horror movies have been lately and I think that's a good thing because this movie is different than the other horror movies I've seen recently. The book The Black Phone was written by Joe Hill who is the son of renowned author Stephen King and you can see his influence in the story. I would compare this film with It. In It the villain is a clown. In this film the baddie is a magician. Some have said the big difference with Hill is The Black Phone has a more positive uplifting ending than any other King novel would. One of my favorite things about the year 2022 so far is there have been movies that have been surprise hits. I mean, and this is on that list. I would put it up there with Top Gun Maverick. I think the best thing about 2022 is the biggest hit of the year is not a Marvel movie. It's not a superhero movie. It's a movie that reminds me of the past. And I could say the same thing about The Black Phone. The Black Phone reminds me of an old school horror movie. And the fact that it made a $155 million at the box office is a huge success for horror movies moving forward. Go back to when I was talking about Elvis making over $271 million at the box office. It's big for the industry that movies like this can still thrive at the box office because we need movies like this. We need horror movies like The Black Phone and we need musical biopics like Elvis. I want there to be a path for all movies to be successful and I think two of the best success stories of the year have been The Black Phone and Elvis. Led by Top Gun Maverick, I think this has been a really good year for movie success stories and I love that The Black Phone is on that list because I do think overall The Black Phone might end up being my favorite horror movie of 2022. Again, I just love the simplicity of it. I love the lead performance from Mason Thames and I love the fact that Ethan Hawke was willing to take a lesser role to be in a movie like this. Like, this is a movie I want to do well, and I love the fact that it did do very well. And I hope Marvel looks at this movie and thinks to themselves, man, we should have kept Scott Derrickson and given him the keys to make whatever kind of Doctor Strange movie he wanted to make, because this guy has the goods as a film director. That's another thing about these two movies that I've talked about this week, Elvis and the Black Phone. I love that you can feel the stamp of the director on them. I love movies like that. I love that Baz Luhrmann made the movie Elvis that he wanted to make and I love that The Black Phone is definitely a Scott Derrickson film. I think we need more movies like that where at the end of the day you watch it and you go, wow, this movie director got to make the movie he wanted to make. I can't reiterate this enough how much I 
love the fact that Scott Derrickson left Marvel and bet on himself and it ended up paying off in a huge way. Thanks for listening to this edition of Pop Culture Spotlight. I'm Cameron McKinney and there'll be a new episode of the podcast every Thursday on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and I highly recommend you check out the movies Elvis and the Black Phone. Next week on the podcast I'm talking about the horror film Scream and the animated film The Bad Guys. So tune into that and please rate, review, and subscribe. Subscribe.